and we are live Live. from the West Coast. We are live from the bowels of Lake Michigan. Yes, I'm recording this from (laughs) I'm recording this from the bottom of a submarine. Good for you, I'm, dude. You're like that guy who worked with uh, works with Elon Musk, who like spent two weeks at the bottom of the ocean. Do you hear about <laughs> that guy? No, but uh, I was thinking more like kind of Kristen Stewart or uh, T.J. Miller in uh, Underwater, the recent uh, Underwater movie. That's your favorite movie, right? Underwater. That's what we're talking <laughs> yeah, about today on right the pod. Now, yeah, yeah. That we're about. To, I shouldn't have spoiled what we're about to talk on the podcast, but it is going to be underwater. <laughs> well, speaking of being underwater, I feel underwater right now because I live under the flight path of a certain airport in Los Angeles. So I always feel like <laughs> you- I, I do. I actually do. I live under the flight path of a certain airport. I don't want to dox myself live on the podcast, but every single day I hear. <sighs> <laughs> every single fucking day. So if you all can oh hear that God. on the fucking track, uh, congratulations. Uh, but you know what you're listening to. We don't even have to say it, but we're going to. Yeah. This is On The List, a podcast about underrated media. I'm Noah Marger, and I am with Mason. How you doing? Oh, I'm great. It is a, uh, it's, it's been a very frigid, like kind of single or negative digits with the wind chill uh, weather Damn. in Chicago recently. Uh, but now the sun is out. It's been beautiful, though. It's been beautiful, nice and crisp. Uh, and the sun is out now, and I'm looking at my back window, and the icicles are melting, and it is reminding me of the music of Big Thief, which is how I always describe their music. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow, but, that's nice. Yeah, so it's nice. How are you, so aside from the, uh, the, the flight path that you're under for the uh, Ontario International Airport, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> let's say that the Ontario International Airport. That's you live exactly in, like, right. Or wherever. Uh, yeah, I live in, in the California fucking. Buddy? I live in the campgrounds of Coachella. Um, <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, things are good. Things are things are happening. We uh, again. Uh, I, there's not a ton that I can talk about specifically, just because I don't know if people want me talking about it. But things are good, and um, yeah, we have some fun ass shit to talk yeah, about today a real Would episode you agree? finally yeah 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 i'm so excited to be talking about uh, a real episode uh doing a real <laughs> episode talking about uh not just covering old stuff covering old stuff but uh going a little deeper dive than just kind of like checking off stuff off of a list uh a list a, a list? list a list <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, uh, i'm glad that you're excited because uh we actually are talking about fuck man this so it's always hard, you know, it's, 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 it's a, one of the worst slash best questions you can ask someone who deeply loves music and movies is what's your favorite album slash what's your favorite movie? Yes. Because it's just one of those things that sort of like rotates on a merry-go-round and in a lot of ways you're never going to say the same thing on a certain day if you really are like embedded in that world. Maybe you mm-hmm. do have like an all-time favorite movie that just always will be. I know for me it, you know, came in phases. Uh, but that being said... This is definitely one of my all-time favorite albums yeah. that we're talking about I, today. I figured, because it was like, um, I was really excited when you, uh, excited, I think a little nervous to, to listen to this, because I haven't listened to this album since, all the way through since I want to say like late high school, because this is sure. definitely like the high school Weezer album for me. Uh, well, I should say, what, what are we talking about? What's our album today, No, I might have jumped the Today, we're bit. talking about... The self-titled debut album, Weezer, a.k.a. Blue Album. Weezer Blue. Weezer Blue, dude, with the fucking young-ass Rivers Cuomo-looking ass on the fucking like... blue-ass cover. 
It's one of the best album covers too, I think. Like I love that this this album cover is somewhat of a meme. Um that just these like kind of four like sad uh like guys in their early twenties, just like completely swagless dudes just hanging out in front of a big blue <laughs> screen. That's it though. That's like that is it. They're completely swagless dudes, and that is what makes their music so fucking awesome is because they just own the fact that they don't have swag. I mean, literally from left to right here, I'm looking at the album cover right in front of me from left to right. You have, I don't know who the fuck any of these people are except for (laughs) rivers, but like you got a guy wearing a fucking white t-shirt that's see-through so you can see his undershirt. You got a guy with a fucking plain blue, but a different color blue in the background t-shirt with tan khakis, a pink button down. That's probably the guy who has the most swag. If I'm being honest with you, honestly, yeah. Uh, Like, I want to cop his fit. (laughs) And some blue, like, chinos or whatever. And then a guy in a fucking bowling shirt that's also blue. Yeah. So just from that, you get pretty much everything you need to know about who's giving you your music. And I think that that's important because this music is very much of its time, but at the same time, always feels like it's in trend and in vogue. Do you, yeah, would you agree I, with that? I agree. I also think that this is one of the most, uh, sort of, uh, I think that there, the fact that this has been such an album that had everybody, like it feels like since it came out 20, almost 26 years ago. Now it's a 25 year old album. It feels like at least since our generation kind of came of age, um, this has been one that's been kind of like oft, um, listened to and is like kind of an, uh, an influence point for a lot of, I think, contemporary music and a lot of kind of acts that are very similar to this. Um, and I also th- want to just say, just shout out, uh, cause you died about maybe five or six months ago. This album is produced by Rick Ocasek of the cars. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, the cars is also just a, 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 almost every single car song is just like one of the best pop rock songs ever written. You know, you got drive, you got uh heartbeat city, you got just what I, just needed, what I need, which yeah, might be exactly. the most karaoke, like the best song to ever sing at karaoke. Uh, and I think that the, fa- I think that his sort of like guiding hand with these guys really shines through because I had not listened. So since I had not listened to this album in about five or six years, I want to say at the latest, I forgot just like how, listenable and fun of an album it was you know totally and it what it, what's interesting is that uh apparently the weezer weezer being mostly rivers cuomo but rivers yeah. really wanted to self-produce the album but they had a lot of pressure mm, from uh dgc being their record label meaning david geffen records and probably from someone related to david geffen like up high was like no 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 no. we really need you guys to not self-produce this we really need you guys to work with someone who uh knows what the fuck they're doing uh in their mind and so of course they would right. pick rick Ocasek. and not to say that the the cars and weezer have a similar sound but i think that that guiding hand, as you were saying, probably led them to certain decisions that maybe they wouldn't have led themselves. That's all speculation. Obviously, there's no way to really know unless right. we sat down with the men themselves. But it would just be so interesting to hear what would a self-produced debut album sound like from Weezer? Uh, that's a very interesting point. I would encourage anyone that's like interested in um, maybe hearing what that could have been like. Alone, the home recordings of Rivers Cuomo. Uh, or what I'm thinking about. And that, uh, the first one's in 2007, the second one's in 2008. And uh, I think that's kind of an interesting thing 
to listen to that is interesting to consider um, because it really, depending on, I'm not 100% sure on when a lot of these songs were recorded. There's an early version of Buddy Holly on here. Oh, damn. Um, there's my favorite song that he ever wrote, which is Lover in the Snow. Wow. Um, maybe that's, maybe this is like fodder for a later episode. But, but, but all to say, I think that what's great about, um, and I think you can draw a straight line from the kind of like, Garagey kind of pop rock of uh or, or power pop rock of the cars to this uh whatever like Weezer however you want to define it is kind of like well it felt like just like the next version and next like I don't want to say logical step because as friend of the show Thomas Sardarian says the next logical conclusion is one of the worst phrases of all time so I won't <laughs> say that in uh, honor of our chef our friend chef Thomas Sardarian um, bless up chef bless up chef uh, R.I.P. <laughs> chefs I don't know why I just said that <laughs> but um fucking like I don't know it just seems like the next like place that garage rock would go because you can absolutely not only hear it in the production, but just so easy to envision. It doesn't take a lot of suspension of disbelief to think about this set list of whatever they were, like this track list for the Blue Album to just be played out of a fucking mm. garage in suburban anywhere. Like, that does not take a jump. There is literally a song called In My Garage, which is yeah. all about River Safe Space being his garage. And um, listening through it again, so what were so when did this album come into your life? So I'm I can't say for sure when the first time I heard this album was, but the fir- I remember the first time uh like lucidly remembering hearing a Weezer track was Beverly Hills, and I think that uh, definitely that album Make Believe came out in 2005, and I remember hearing it on like Radio Disney, probably of all places. Yeah, like it was like a big smash hit. Yeah, you and I think have similar kind of starting points with that. I can't think of an earlier time I heard or was conscious of a Weezer song before Beverly Hills. Well, yeah. Um, and I remember having that song on my uh, iPod color, my gray iPod color, like my very first MP3 player. Oh, hell yeah. And then I want to say that like maybe two years later when I was in middle school, we had um, the high school men's or male acapella group come to us like from a college or something, even for like an assembly. Uh, And one of the songs they sang was My Name is Jonas. No way. Yeah, dude. It was. I thought that was when I was a kid. I was like, "Oh, music can make me sad." <laughs> <laughs> the um. Well, speaking of my name is Jonas. I'm just gonna run through the track list of this because yes, there yes, are. Sure. Okay, ready? Here I'm just okay. Here we go. One, the opening track of the debut album of the band Weezer is "My Name Is Jonas." Whoa! Doesn't get better than that. Holy <laughs> get better than fuck! That. <laughs> then we go to number two, which is if you're not a Weezer fan, you probably don't know this song, but the song "No One Else," which is a great track. That is just yes. a fun track. Which is a song that uh, I I think that there are many songs of uh, many scenes of Adam Driver listening to that uh, song on the Marriage Story cutting room floor uh, <laughs> because <laughs> jeez, come on, uh, he, sh- he she shouldn't be upset that he slept with her. He should be upset that he had a laugh with her. That's uh, it, Chef. That's fucking <laughs> it. Then at number three we have the world has turned and left me here, which is Ugh. another fucking banger but again if you're not a this Weezer was my fan, song in late high school <laughs> this was it were you did you did you pump this one through your little ear veins or was this just how you were feeling yeah i think even like my buddy so this is a big song this was a big album for me and my buddy jake uh and he was uh on the radio in in high school and nice. he played whenever i would like come and just like kind of hang out with him in the radio room at least one song from this album was always playing and the world has turned and left me here was a big one for us i remember well it's it's a great just album even if you're not 
in high school anymore. It's a great quote unquote high school album just because you have so many songs about feeling lonely and feeling alienated and just that those feelings, you know, oh, definitely never, uh, they never like, it's not like those go away in high school. Like you still feel that after you leave high school and it's just a great kind of remembering of almost a nostalgic feeling for those feelings in high school. Yeah, um, you- <laughs> but just like at the Damn, same Jeff, time, it's kind of depressing, but oh, like, I get it. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. But like, you still feel that way. And like, especially when we get down to the bottom, I think like the last track on this album is just that way. But here we go. So we got the world's turn left me here at three. Then at number four, definitely another one of the most famous songs, buddy Holly, which is <sighs> uh, another reason why I think Weezer uh, really just kind of exploded right at the gates because they had some bomb-ass music videos, especially from this album. Specifically, this song oh, yeah. and then number five, the next track on the album, Undone the Sweater Song. Both of those music videos are swag me the fuck out. They are so <laughs> fucking cool. And I think Spike Jones did the Undone Sweater Song music video. Uh, and I believe he's, so I'm looking at it, he did do the Sweater Song music video, uh, and I'm looking just to double check my, my recollection on this. I believe he also directed the, uh, I think he did, I think he directed the music video for Buddy Holly, too. Did he? Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah. He, yeah, uh, right. he was fucking balling out. And, uh, Spike, if you're listening to this, please direct another feature film. Please. Spike, come on our podcast. <laughs> please come on the podcast. You can, we'll literally talk about whatever the fuck you want. Um, and then at number six, after the Undone the Sweater song, uh, you have Surflax America, which, Ooh, might be like one B for me as far as like favorite tracks on the album. It might be, I think for me, it's my name is Jonas, but really yeah. close at number two is surf Lax America. At one yeah. point, one of my bios on one of my social medias was you take your car to work. I'll take my board. Like it, it just, yeah, baby is such an awesome song and it's very rebellious uh, at the same yeah. time. And I love like just the, just that part in the, I don't know if it's technically, it's not the chorus, but it's, I think we'll call it like a bridge where he's like, I never thought it'd come to this. Now I can never go home. I just love that. Like, it's just like that feeling of just like not wanting to be an adult, but not really wanting to be a kid. And I just love feeling like that he's caught in the middle. Yeah. I just love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. This is definitely one of my favorites. I don't know if it's like in my, my, oh God, I just love that song too. And when I was listening to it, Hearing that song, looking right out my window at the uh, at this at the snowy landscape that I got in front of me, I'm just like, "Yeah, man, Cali, baby." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Catch, catching the rays, ca- rays catching the waves. <laughs> and then at number seven, we have "Say It Ain't So," which I gotta God. be in the right mood for "Say It Ain't So," but I can't deny that it's a fucking hell of a song. Like, it's definitely not the one I'll go to first, but I who doesn't love that song? Like, it's just a great song. I mean, this might be the one I go to first, just because that's where my mood is. And also, like, did you ever play this song on, uh, like, Rock Band or something? Probably, or yeah. But yeah. Yeah, this is a big Rock Band song for me. It's got a good part for everybody, because if you're singing, you got a good part. If you're playing guitar, you got a good part. And if you're playing drums, it's not, like, a, like, a prolific part, but it's, like, a really fun, like like a really good little backbeat definitely definitely uh don't listen to that folks i accidentally hit play on spotify and my name is jonas started playing again which is not a bad thing but i don't want that to be distracting me from talking with my buddy noah my friend mason and at number eight we have in the garage which we were just briefly talking about before which again not one of their like super hits but it's a great song Uh, At number nine, Mm. we have Holiday, which is probably my least favorite track on the album, if I have to if I have to pick one. Yeah, and I definitely think that it's the one that uh, kind of sticks out the most. It feels like a little bit of like kind of maybe a later Weezer song in a way. 
You know, sure. like, every time that I think about this song, I feel it comes up on, like, the Green album. Or what they're fucking doing now, like, with their weird-ass fucking covers of Africa by Toto, which that's a whole other fucking podcast, <laughs> to be honest yeah, with I'm you. Yeah, looking, right now I'm looking at their latest release on... Uh, on uh, Spotify, and it is uh, Van Weezer, I believe, is a cover of Van Halen's "The End of the Game." I don't even know if that's uh, what, if, it, if it's a uh, Van Halen song, but it's just like it's ugh, it's it's Weezer's a very confusing band in the contemporary yeah. context, <laughs> and it's really sad because I feel like most people who you know don't go back and like dig down and like dig for something like this just are going to know Weezer basically for what they're doing now. And they're going to be like, Oh, this is like weird 40 year old yeah. men doing covers of Africa, which, you know, that's a, I think that's a very polarizing thing. I think some people are like, Oh, that's cool. And then some people are like, man, this is fucking terrible. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that regardless, you know, they are a band, especially their early stuff. And not to be that guy who's like, oh, the early stuff is so good, blah, blah, blah. But it's it just is one of those things where they had this weird hiatus between, uh, like, the late 90s, early 2000s and make-believe. And they had that weird hiatus. I think some people went to college or, like, like yeah, did some, like, fathering stuff. And yeah. it, it just was weird. And then they came back and... Uh, I don't know. I'm a big fan of like the Red Album. I think the Red Album is a great little album yeah, as well. I, definitely. I think so. If I'm looking at uh, right now. There's a five year gap between Pinkerton and the Green Album, and then there's Maladroit, which, to my recollection, is not that bad of an album either. Sure, it has some good songs on it, but I also have not listened to it in a very long time. Then there's Make Believe in 05, and then there's the Red Album in 08. And I think the Red Album, I remember, I think the Red Album was the very first Weezer album they listened to all the way through, sure. just because it happened to come out at, like, kind of the right time with that, where I'm like, oh, I like a handful of these songs. Well, from, it, was also, uh, it was also the yeah. first album of theirs that really kind of, like, could be vitalized by the internet, because that Pork and Beans music video took every popular yes. meme from that era and put it into one video, and at the time, I just remember thinking, this is the coolest fucking shit I've ever seen. No, I 100% agree with you, and I was so glad that you brought that up, because I had the exact same reaction, where it's like, if you watch that video now, it's kind of like... Nostalgia, but in a creepy way. It's, and it's almost like going to like the Smithsonian or something. Like, yeah. It's like you see these artifacts of like old memes. Like, you see the, the Potter Puppet Pals, you see the Cocomentos guy. You see Numa Numa guy. You see Numa Numa guy, yeah. Rivers Cuomo puts on a bunch of t-shirts, and you're like, this is just so quaint. This is like you thought this is like what the peak of the internet was going to be and then it turned into this thing that's going to destroy humanity uh <laughs> and, and donald then, trump's in it donald trump's not in it no, uh, all <laughs> dude r.i.p donald trump and i will speak that into existence yes please uh, <laughs> yes, but, but we we have one more track on the album which and if you take this track off the album this is by far the longest track on the album it's eight minutes long only in yeah. dreams which is the finale of the album this like First part, like the deluxe album is bigger and meatier and buffer, but the like the original release of the album ended with only in dreams. It's an eight minute track. If you take this song out, this is like not even a 40 minute album. Like this is like, no, it's easy like, yeah. and easy. And but the fact that only in dreams does cap this off, I will go as far to say I think it is poignant. I think it is a poignant end to a otherwise silly and maybe uh like weird album you could say but i think that when you end it with only in dreams i think it gives the entire thing from what you've heard up till this point and this song included just a very sweet tinge of poignancy 
and it's a little bit more introspective uh, and a little bit more heartfelt than what we've heard before. And I just think that it goes to show like yeah. everything that you've heard up till this point, they are talking about insecurity and they are talking about loneliness and they are talking about feeling inferior, but it's only, it's all done with maybe the guise of humor or like weirdness sort of as like a, like a, like a, like a shield, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but when you get to only in dreams, they're really letting you in. And I think it's just nice to see uh, at the very end of the album that they're letting you in in that way. Yeah. I think that, that, I think that's a great read. I think pointed is the right word. I think that that's a great way to describe uh, only in dreams, which is a song that I think because of its length, I never really, I can't remember listening to fully all the way because I'm just like, I want to listen to these like kind of lean and mean, Yep. Uh, songs that are on this, and I don't really want to have time for. So I, when I was listening to it all the way through today for the first time, basically, I was like, I think you're right that it does like kind of um, at the very last minute on this album, it, it kind of reveals like the heart of what Weezer is and the heart of this album in a way. And you're right, it does kind of this like introspection, this loneliness, and also this earnestness and this kind of desire to be. Uh, desire to be seen and heard which like they kind of pick up more on on pinkerton um which that was a uh that was a big time uh sad sad college listen to for me i listened to the album so much well, when i was in college and that i know that i know that we're not like technically supposed to talk you know about pinkerton like this is supposed to be like the blue album sort of spotlight but i do yeah. want to bring up pinkerton real quick and just from your whatever knowledge you do have of it I heard our friend, our good friend, Mr. Anthony Fantano, uh, the internet's busiest music nerd, talk about Pinkerton in a way that I thought was very interesting. And what I'm going to tell you, basically, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, and I want your take on it. Are you ready? Cool. Oh, I'm so I'm I'm ready, Chef. I'm bracing myself. Okay, Chef, ready? I'm getting my hat on. I'm ready. Okay, put that hat on and put your tools away, Chef, because I need your full <laughs> attention. So. Okay. He said, and this is a paraphrase, so Mr. Fantano, please do not come after me. Uh, he said, paraphrase, Pinkerton <laughs> sounds like what should have been Weezer's debut album, and the Blue album sounds like what should have been their follow-up. Hmm. And again, hmm. that's a little bit of a cryptic statement, but I think I know what he's trying to say. I, what, do, what, do yeah. you, what do you think about that? That's that's very interesting. I think that there is um, – it is kind of – I've made this joke, I think, in this observation about Rivers Cuomo in the past, and particularly Weezer, where it's, it is kind of like the, the um, track of their career is kind of like a reverse um, Dorian Gray situation where the music just kind of gets like more juvenile in a way, even though sure. they're aging in real time. And I can kind of see that, like, uh, there is, like, the loneliness is kind of more acute on Pinkerton, which is why I think it uh, resonated with me as a lonely 22, 20-21-year-old, 20, 1920-year-old in college. Um, and now that I'm older, I appreciate the Blue Album more just because it is, like, I think the songwriting is just a little bit better and isn't quite as... Um, demanding of your empathy and your understanding i think that these are both easy albums and easy uh these are both easy albums to love and easy to be sympathetic to the songwriting and to be to the production and the music but i don't think that uh you don't it's not asking for your pity like pinkerton kind of is sometimes sure um and 
I kind of agree with that, I guess. I think like, I think he's just trying to express that it's like it seems like the Blue Album is a somewhat more mature album in that regards, you know? That's exactly what I was going to say. It, 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 he's seeming to suggest that it's crazy that Pinkerton was the follow-up because a lot of Pinkerton feels a little more clunky and a little less... Uh, I guess mature is probably the word I would use as well. Um, I do. There's a stretch of three songs on Pinkerton that I think is just as good as the Blue mm. Album, and it's The Good Life, and then after that, I want to say it's, uh, it's El Scorcho, Scorcho and, and then, then Pink Triangle. And yeah. those three songs, back to back to back, uh, make me Howie Bling, I'm Gonna Come. Like, that just <laughs> makes me fucking so yes, happy, yes. dude. Like, oh my God. Like, The Good Life... Like the, I don't want to be an old man anymore. Just like that old shit. Then into yeah. El Scorcho, which I listened to a lot my freshman year of college because I was looking to fuck and I was not. <laughs> uh, and then Pink Triangle, which I had discovered like like senior year. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty interesting song. I thought it was cool that they actually said lesbian in the song. And I was like, that's yeah. fucking sick that they would actually say lesbian. Um, but I think as a whole, uh, I think Mr. Fantano has a really good point in that, uh, the blue album does feel more mature and a little bit more put together and a little bit more cohesive, uh, from track to track than, uh, yeah. Pinkerton I does. I want to look up, now I'm curious, I want to see if, uh, who, if, who produced Pinkerton. Uh, Weezer produced Pinkerton. Interesting. So I think that's, that's an interesting thing to, that's a notable thing, I think, because I think that the guy, the reason why maybe, uh, Rick Ocasek was there was also just to kind of get those guys on track a little bit. I, you might have sure. said that earlier. Um, but when they are self-producing, like, it, with Pinkerton, I think that that's kind of um, – uh, I think that's maybe what the label is scared of. It's just like, guys, you kind of got to chill out a little bit, you know? <laughs> you got to – Sure. Uh, you know? Um, but I think, like, just to get back to the Blue Album, um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of – I never really considered this an underrated album, which is why it was, it was kind of a curious – pick uh when you picked it i thought it was kind of a curious decision but i think that i looking at it with kind of an older set of eyes i like really just found a newfound appreciation for it uh and a newfound appreciation just for like the sheer amount of like just the song craft it really brought back you know living at home and being and spending the most amount of time in this bedroom uh in my in my house where i grew up since uh i was in college since my at least my freshman year of college uh, it's curious to be like in this physical space and hearing this album again. And like, I don't know. I, I I'm really happy that uh, you brought it on chef. Thank you. Well, I think you're welcome. And I, I agree that this is probably not in the traditional terms, an underrated album in the way that some other albums that we've talked about on this show are like, it's definitely not underrated in the same way that, you know, uh, clues by Robert Palmer is or underrated in the same mm -hmm. way that um, I don't know the la the last or the first American is definitely not but like uh, it's an album that I think now people who don't really know about Weezer would be shocked that this was a Weezer album and not only just yeah. a Weezer album but their debut album sort of like into the world yeah because yeah. of how uh, I'm just going to say different, uh, their current, uh, tracks are and how different their current albums are basically being known for playing, uh, weird covers of eighties songs and no scrubs by TLC. And I just think that yeah, yeah. taking a moment to say like, wow, this fucking album 
is I'm not going to say it's the Citizen Kane of debut albums because that's just be an absurd claim to make, but it does sort of feel right. like, holy shit, they came out the gate so fucking strong. And then ever since then, it's not that they haven't lived up to expectations. It's just been a, oh, man, they really killed it on the first album, like, big time. And I just think that it's important 100%. to look at that, look at, an, look at the first debut and see, like, oh, where did we go from there? And the truth is, except for Beverly Hills, which is probably their most commercially successful, like, single, at least, in, like, so far, you know? Uh-huh. I don't know if they've had as much success as they have had after this album. And it's kind of sad, but at the same time, we're always going to have this album, and we're always going to have this album starting with My Name is Jonas. We're always going to have it ending with Only in Dreams, and you're always going to get to hear Surf Wax America in the middle, and it's just so nice. It is so and nice. And it's just so nice. So, And it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Aww. Would you recommend this album, Chef Mason? I would. I would. Um, I definitely would. It was nice to revisit it. It was definitely nice to come back to this, to kind of come home to it. And uh, I would recommend it. I think it's just, at the very end of the day, it's just a really solid group of songs it's just a really um incredibly listenable album it's uh really tightly produced really um and i think uh, god i think also just like the song craft and the and the lyricism and just the 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 strength of rivers uh cuomo's uh writing in this really uh i think evocative really like kind of visual like really visual um song writing uh, in a way that just like, kind of transports you into this guy's life and that he sort of, one could argue, maybe got a little bit farther away from. Um, it's just a, such a good album. I recommend it. And you recommend yes. it, would you, wouldn't you, Chef? Yeah, of course I would. This is an absolute recommend. Uh, you pretty much heard what I had to say on it. So that wraps it up for the Blue Album. And Chef Mason, do you want to introduce our movie of the week? Yes, so the movie of the week, this is a recent uh, kind of, uh, I would say, find, a recent favorite for me. It was, uh, I was browsing for something to watch on the Criterion Collection, uh, the Criterion Channel, and I saw that this this had a recent Criterion edition put out. It's uh, it's it's Criterion uh, is not out yet, right, but it will be coming out, or is it already out? No, it is out, actually. It is out, actually, because uh, I was at Reckless Records downtown, and somebody had either bought it and returned it or they just like had a copy of it already so there is a full full spine of this movie that you can buy and um, beautiful yeah. beautiful artwork on that uh but it's uh bill forsyth's 1983 kind of uh fairy tale comedy uh local hero uh <laughs> starring uh starring chef, chef, peter Riegert. Starring Peter Riegert, who uh, is notable for being uh, in the movie Crossing Delancey, which is a sweet little movie. And also he was uh, the crooked assemblyman from, I think, seasons three, four, and five of The Sopranos. He pops up on The Sopranos. And uh, Burt Lancaster. uh, Classic. One of of Burt Lancaster's last roles, probably. I believe so, yeah. I think, I want to say he died in 1990, um, but this is... uh, uh, I think he, I think he's just so good on that. So that was kind of the history with this, and I watched it uh, when I was home. Watched it on my big TV in my parents' room, and I just kind of uh, I kind of fell immediately for it. And it was one of those movies that just um, I would listen to the soundtrack a lot. I would try to find clips of it. Um, I just kind of fell in love with it, and I wanted to bring it on so I could have an excuse to uh, rewatch it and also to uh, talk about it with my buddy Noah. So uh, do you have any? 
Yeah. So do you have any uh, history with this movie at all? Either yes. the director, Bill Forsyth, or this movie in particular? Yeah, so I uh, went to Chapman University's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts. Uh, and yeah. every single... No, not every single, but a lot of different majors are required to take a class at Chapman called... Fuck, I'm totally blanking on the name of the class. <laughs> Holy shit. What is it called? Oh, it's called Film... <laughs> Film script analysis was the name of the class. And it oh, was, I think you've mentioned this class before. I probably have. You know what I mentioned it on? I think I mentioned hmm. it on the Sunny episode because it started uh, – that class is what started my insane legendary run of 21 movies in 10 days during my spring break sophomore year uh, yeah, time period. <laughs> so, yes, Chef. Bless up, Chef, for that. Um, let's get some chefs in the chat. <laughs> if you can get some <laughs> fucking chefs and chef emojis in the chat, that'd be great. Thank you, Chef's Chef. Chef's up. Chef's, chef's up, up for the homies. <laughs> Um, but so in that class for the final, you had to write a analysis of one of three movies that was chosen uh, by the teacher who also shout out to James Dutcher, who was the professor of that mm-hmm. class. Easily one of the best professors I had during my time at Chapman University. Yeah, and I will say uh, just just a brief aside, the fact that I'm friends with so many Chapman people on Facebook means that my Facebook uh, recommended friends are just mostly Chapman people now and other yep. just like various internet denizens and uh James Dutcher is one of them. <laughs> good. Good. Hit him up. Get him on get him on the pod. Hashtag get Dutcher on the pod. Um, <laughs> but you gotta friend that guy on Facebook. Um but so we had to take that class. He's a great guy, great teacher. Um one of my favorite guys at Chapman. And uh he uh we watched a lot of great movies in that class. That's where we watched Groundhog Day we watched Intermission, which is a Scottish uh, film that is sort of shortcuts-esque. We watched hmm. uh, just a lot of really great stuff uh, in that class. We're mostly looking at structure and how features are sort of uh, devised structurally. And then we looked at features that sort of break structure and how they break structure and all that good stuff. And for the class uh, final project or final final, basically, we had to write an analysis. And we had two, three movies to choose from. We had Finding Nemo. First, obviously, huh. you know, we got to love Finding Nemo. Okay. We had a second movie that I don't fucking remember what it was because I don't think anybody did it. Uh, and then the third option was Local Hero, actually. Interesting. He okay. gave us Very that cool. as a third option. And being the, you know, righteous cinephile that I was, <laughs> I was like, well, I know everybody else is going to do Finding Nemo, so I'm going to do Local Hero. And I remember renting wow, it. Wow, okay. Renting it from the school library popping it into my PS4, it being like the week before finals, getting 30 minutes in and going, yeah, I'm going to do Finding Nemo instead because it's way easier <laughs> to do it on a movie I've seen a million times. So yeah, I, I watched that, the, yeah. Yeah, so I watched the first 30 minutes of it probably back in 2017, I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. and then always sort of had remembered it. I really just really remembered the scenes in Burt Lancaster's office. Like, that's really what I remembered the most yeah. from it at the very beginning. And... uh yeah, and then him, like, getting to Scotland, and that's, like, pretty much as far as I got. But um, I don't necessarily enjoy this movie on the same level as you do, but I do want to say that it captures a very specific kind of humor in a way that I think very few other movies really do. It captures mm. the awkwardness of being a fish out of water, but the sweetness of, like, 
compassion toward other people at the same time that really just makes for a very interesting combination i saw someone describe the humor as kubrickian which i found very interesting because never once did Hmm. that pop into my mind because i think of kubrick as no never not sweet and not compassionate really toward other people but um it just it finds a way to make the humor so uh idiosyncratic and so like specific to this world that it's worth watching alone just if you are interested in comedy in that in that respect yeah yeah so just just to get the plot uh just to talk about the plot a little bit the plot concerns um this guy uh mac mcintyre played by peter reader who is a who is uh in, in one of the first funniest things that happens in the movie he explains that his name is mcintyre because his hungarian immigrant grandparents came and chose that as their last name because they thought it was uh american sounding <laughs> so, yeah exactly so he's chosen to go to scotland because uh happer the ceo of this oil company um who's played by burt lancaster um they're about to buy up this like kind of cove on the coast of scotland and happer's like let's get mcintyre to go he's scottish um, and there's a lot of funny, really, uh, the second time I watched, the first time I watched it, I was just kind of like taking, I think I had a very similar thing reaction to you where it was like the first 20 minutes before they get to the town, I kind of just wasn't sure how this, uh, what tone this movie was. Um, yeah. cause I hadn't seen anything kind of with it, this sort of sense of humor. Um, and then when they get to the town, it just opens up. But anyways, um, he's tasked to go. Uh, and kind of talk to the locals and get them to negotiate to sell off the town so they can build a big like kind of refinery or something. Um, and he goes and he meets uh, Peter Capaldi. A very young Peter Capaldi and is very good. Very young, very cute, very good. He's a very he's a little cute patootie. He has a crush on a uh, marine biologist lady who's also who may or may not be a mermaid. It's very sweet. Yep. Um, and he kind of goes and he has this uh, fish out of water experience. And I think that that's the thing. And one of the things I love about this movie so much is just that it captures. I think you're absolutely right. I love that you said this, that it is the kind of awkwardness and how funny it is to be a fresh out of water, but also how um, uh, just when you are in a new place like this, uh, just how even without you realizing it, it rubs off on you a little bit. And you can never, like, even when you visit a, a new place, it never quite leaves you in a way, I think. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I think, just a really beautiful sentiment. And it's also, I think, that just the, the town and the people of Furness, Scotland, where this takes place, uh, are it, it's such a fun group of people. Like, there's, um, there's like, one punk... There's a guy that just rides his motorcycle around. There's a guy whose seemingly whole existence is just to, like, kind of bang shingles to the top of a roof. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and there's the uh, there's the innkeeper who's played by Dennis Lawson, who, if you don't know who that is, uh, all my Star Wars heads out there, that's Wedge Antilles. Yeah. Um, uh, my guy, Wedge Antilles, uh, is the uh, innkeeper, accountant, sometimes barkeeper, just like the the guy around the town that everybody knows that was so good how uh 
they like are like he's like oh i need to go speak to the accountant and uh he was like oh do you know when he'll be in he's like oh he should be in in the next 10 15 minutes trust me i have a good feeling about it and then he walks in and guess what it's the same fucking guy who just told him that he was going to be there in 10 15 minutes that is such awesome small town shit and you gotta love small town shit i know i think that's a a big reason why i love this movie also i just want to say that it's uh it should be noticed that this is a very light uh fairy tale this is not a movie where even though there's like it's it's one it's kind of a movie where it's like the 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 town bands you hear the plot and you think it's going to be a movie about the town banding together to stop the evil oil people from taking over exactly um you know like kind of like the 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 crooked businessman trying to knock down the community center or whatever it's not quite as simple as that i don't think and what i really like about it is that the the townspeople are really eager to um kind of cash out and leave except for one character that i think we'll get into in a little bit um, but I love that this is a movie and you know me, you know, I love the sky, you know, yeah, I love nature, you love a good sky. This is a movie that I think is really about, um, because there's just the scene that comes, I think in the exact middle of the movie where there's all the town people are, the townspeople are together. Um, Mac and Gordon, the Dennis Lawson character have like worked out the final negotiation for what they're going to sell it to. And the northern lights appear, and it's just this moment of pure magic that uh, gets me really, really choked up. Sure. And is this sort of, like, uniquely cinematic thing, this thing in cinema, like the thing that to me is uniquely cinematic, um, which is uh, just how it's so good at maybe about as, more than, like, a symphony or anything else, just, like, displaying and... Um, when cinema's really, really good and doing its job correctly, just displays and portrays splendor in a way that no other art form kind of sure. can. Um, and I think that this is a movie that's very uh, unique in that regard, and I think is worth watching just because of its very um, delicate sort of tone and approach to the story that it's telling. And I think it's, it's so, I want to say shout out to James Dutcher because this is not a movie that's very plotty. There is an overarching kind of plot, but it's more about just like integrating you with this like kind of quirky town, um, and the light irony that you, um, the light irony that you feel being like a newcomer in a strange place. And you just kind of, the thing that you do when you're new to some places, you just like pick up and you just notice the things that are strange to you but they're only strange because it's not your everyday sure. life. Um, I don't know. I just, I just really, really fell hard for this movie and I, I really love it. I know you're a little less hot, keen on it than I am, but it, it seems like you're charmed by it at the very oh, 100%. Least. I think that, I think the thing that really keeps me stringing along is, uh, I think it's just, it's slow. And I think that, let's see, what did our, what did our boy Raj say about this movie? Because our boy Roger Ebert. Well, Raj really liked this Ra- movie, which is what I love about it. And also I forgot about this. I'm about to get something off camera, but I'm, I'm, I'm uh Oh, he's moving. Uh, fo- he's on the move folks. What's the fuck out? So I thought, I had recognized this movie when it was in the Criterion Collection. I was like, "Why is this? Why does this sound familiar?" And it's because it's it's in this big book that I got for Christmas one year, which is the New York Times. Can you see this? No, but yes, it's what is it? Tell everyone else what we got. The the New York Times Guide to the Best A Thousand Movies Woo! Ever Made. Uh, and this is in that collection. It was re- there's a review in here written by Janet Maslin. Um, but Roger's review is really good. If you if you've pull that up also this is off the wikipedia page but i wanted to say he kind of gets 
uh, to why I liked the movie to the point of which I did, and it really comes down to this. And what it says is, what makes this material really work is the low-key approach of writer-director Bill Forsyth, who also made the charming Gregory's Girl and has the patience to let his characters gradually reveal themselves to the camera. He never hurries, and as a result, local hero never drags. Nothing is more absorbing, absorbing than human personalities developed with love and humor. And that is... At its core, what makes this movie so interesting? And my favorite phrase in there is, he lets his characters gradually reveal themselves to the camera. And I, in my head, always say it reveals itself, and I sometimes will use that phrase. And I think that I always thought, oh, that's specific to me. But hearing somebody else say these characters gradually revealing themselves puts it exactly in a way that I would had I be describing this movie to someone else. And I think he's right yeah. on board because it does not hurry along, but it doesn't need to. And I think when it when people when the characters reveal themselves, it as a as a uh, as a result the setting has revealed itself and the setting here is just as much of a character as the characters themselves are characters. And what's so interesting yeah. is that you are like you had mentioned Mason, you do think, Oh fuck, this is going to be a movie where this small town bands together against an evil corporation. But 99% of the people in this town are like, yeah, absolutely. Let's fucking sell this place. Like, let's get this place yeah. fucking going. <laughs> like, let's make some money. And it's just that alone is just funny. And, um, you know, not us living in America, we don't necessarily have to contend with something like this, but it really does give you this interesting perspective like, oh, fuck, maybe if I was living in a small coastal Scottish town, maybe I would want to get fucking bought out and I'd want to move somewhere and get off this fucking podunk island, you know? It just sort of puts <laughs> that idea in your head, and these characters are just so interesting, and that is really what the, makes the movie worth watching, is that each character is crafted with a left love as much as a lead is. The guy who combs the beach is crafted with just as much love as Mac and Happer are. Yes. You know? And that's, what, and that's I love really what I love. Yeah, I mean, I love old Ben. I just want to talk about that character for a little bit because he you just see him in bits and pieces in the first part, half of the movie, and then he becomes really important in the second half of the movie. And he has this line towards the end, which is my Letterboxd review now for the second time watching it, um, which is um, the business left, but the beach remained. Um, and this is a movie that is asking, I, th I think it's asking not too much, uh, but maybe a lot for some folks in the current, in our current climate to be a little sympathetic to an oil executive and his journey. Sure. But I think at the end of the day, this is a movie that is simp more sympathetic and more on the side of uh, nature and conservancy than it is on this oil executive, even though he is uh, kind of a bastard. And in the beginning of the movie, he's dismissed. He's dismissive of the trip in the very beginning. Because he's like, you know, I can do this over telex in an afternoon, you know, like he doesn't see why it's necessary for him to go on the trip, uh, especially because he sold out uh, like oil fields in Mexico um, in, before the movie started. Like you don't see this, but it's it's talked about, uh, which is another little bit of, I think, like kind of irony and uh, totally just gentle kind of humor, gentle irony from um, Bill Forsyth, who's also the writer. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is a movie that I think um, – is about like how kind of nature is this um nature is a is a thing that will exist the beach nature whatever you want to call it is a thing that it will exist longer than any man-made structure such as business will um will will be there for it and it's all about like how it's important to conserve it 
and uh, it's it's just very very light and sweet. And I was having a I don't mind saying it, folks. I've been going. I've been having a little bit of a rough patch recently. I just lost. Uh, I didn't lose my job, but being back in Chicago, being back home, things are things are moving at their own pace, and I'm getting a little frustrated with how fast some things are moving. But I put this on yesterday, and I was just kind of like. Just really, it just it just lifted my spirits immediately. Amen. Uh, like watching it and being and when it was over, I was just like, I'm so happy I rewatched Local Hero. You know, exactly. I mean, I think that that is sort of the power. You know, not only of just art in general, but of movies like that when they really do just touch you. It sort of you know removes you from your you know. It's escapism, but it's not. Spider-Man. It's escapism, but it's not you know Thor: The Dark World. It's it's yeah. escapism in a way that really does let you remember, you know, why you're fucking here on this earth, you know? And that is the, that's the most beautiful uh, thing I think a movie can do. Um, Can I briefly touch on how fucking good the score and soundtrack to this movie is? I would love if you did that, Chef. Absolutely. Go ahead. So it's always sort of a risk. I feel like when uh, directors and producers and people who are in charge of making movies do something like this, but I think this one really works out and they got our friend Mark Knopfler from the band Dire Straits to do the soundtrack to this. And I think that's usually, uh, it can be a risk. Another really good example of that is the Harold and Maude soundtrack when it's all Cat Stevens. Mm Um, all Cat Stevens, uh, like the graduates, another one, the graduates, a great example, but this is another example that should just be up in the rafters with it because, uh, not only we're not hearing necessarily like songs from Mr. Knopfler, but the way he is able to score this in a gentle way, as well as the actual instrumentation of his guitar playing and not just the tone, but like Mm -hmm. what he is actually playing itself really lends to the fact that this is a strange place, but it's a very nice place. And I think without that score, yeah. I don't know if we're feeling it in the same way and to the same degree that definitely you're feeling and definitely other people who love this movie feel it. Definitely. I think that that's, um, I, I'm so happy you brought that up because I just had been listening to the soundtrack. I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot since I watched this movie. Uh, and Mark Knopfler, you sh- Fans of the show, friends of the show, people who are interested should also know that Mark Knopfler also wrote one of the other best soundtracks of the 80s, which was the Princess Bride soundtrack. Yes, chef. Yes, chef. Um, But I think you're absolutely right. This is just the perfect um, soundtrack for just like how gentle and easy this movie is, I think, to watch. Uh, And if you listen to the soundtrack on Spotify, and I want to say that this is like from the actual other releases of this album... Um, they integrate sounds of like the beach and sounds of the water. And I would even encourage people to, if they're curious about watching this movie, um, to maybe give the soundtrack a little bit of a listen, just so that they're kind of a little more, uh, a little eased into the, um, the kind of the tone and the feel. Cause I do think that if you're not like primed for what this movie is actually going to be and what it's going to be about, you can kind of feel like it's keeping you, at least I felt like I was kind of at a distance of it somewhat. And then I gradually had to just like let myself be in that world and um, be with those characters and just kind of fall in love with it. But I think that that's uh, the soundtracks. It's it's one of my new favorite soundtracks. I listen to it. I've been listening to it a lot. I love it so much. Wow. Yes. So at the end of the day, would you recommend this album, Noah? This album? I mean, oh my goodness. No, Um, I would conditionally recommend local hero. Cool. And it's basically for the reasons that you're saying, um, I think that this is a movie that if you are willing to sort of give yourself, let yourself, fuck, what am I trying to say? If you're willing to give in to <laughs> what this movie's doing, there's a chance you're going to love it and you're really going to love it. But there's also a chance you're just going to go, okay, 
You know, like, you know, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But I also know that this is really isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I think that that is the reason why it has sort of been under the radar for so long um, is because of the tone that it decides to take. It's a very specific tone. It's a very interesting tone. But I think that is the reason why the movie sort of flies under people's radar and not only flies under people's radar, most people probably haven't fucking heard of this movie. Even if you are a Criterion fan, yeah. it's new to the Criterion collection, but you're probably just like, oh, I don't even think I know what that movie is. Like, it's very much like a, you either know it or you don't. So this is a conditional recommend for me. I think it is worth your time. It's really not that long. It's just under two hours, and, you know, you're going to get some chuckles. Uh, and I think that the standouts for me are definitely Mr. Burt Lancaster and Mr. Peter Capaldi. I think those are the standouts for me. Yeah, Burt Lancaster in this movie is so is so good, and um, it's I think it's just such a good kind of encapsulation of his uh why he's such a, a just arresting screen presence he's one of my favorite actors uh he's very good at giving to a scene and giving to a movie without being like super overly flashy totally. or re- like being like he, i'm not like i'm the star of this movie you know um he's such a, a nice um just a kind of uh a, a gentle grace to this character of mr happer um, a little bit of a little a touch of melancholy too, and the little subplot that he has with his like corporate therapist or whatever yeah. is just so funny. Um, I really love that. Uh, definitely him. I think that like Peter Rieger also gives a good performance, totally. even though not too much is he's not asked to do a ton. Um, but I think he's also you kind of he's so good at just giving the camera. There's a couple scenes of him just like looking up and reading the sky, and he's very good at just giving you these like kind of minute, um changes to track like his own relationship and his own kind of understanding of why he's there um i think he's very good i think everybody's good i i just i kind of just love this movie with my whole heart and i just can't wait to watch it again so this is a full recommend from me yeah baby um but yeah i think that it's a very a movie that you have to be very aware of uh it's very specific and you kind of have to I think it's a good movie to escape into. I think it's a good movie to um, just watch if you're just looking for something just kind of light and breezy. And um, if you love good landscapes, this is yeah. the movie for you. This movie got some great landscapes. Great landscapes. Really made me want to visit uh, Scotland kind of more than anything. Really want to just visit the Scottish coast and stay in an inn, um, drink some 42-year-old scotch. There you go. <laughs> uh, whiskey. I think uh, also yeah, another, another fun thing about this, and I don't know if we really ever talk about this specifically on the show this movie has a really good movie poster it has a great poster. two guys standing yeah. in the water like you know with their with their business suits rolled up like uh past their like, yeah. knees like i don't know if we really we don't really talk about like movie posters a ton but like this one's a good one and it actually does make you just purely based on its image alone i think it's enticing and makes you go like oh what the hell is this all about i know i kind of i love the the criterion cover for it is like kind of this um I want to say maybe it's an oil painting or some other kind of illustration of Peter Riegert in the red in the red uh, phone booth looking up at the northern lights. But I kind of wish that they just went with the original poster sure. <laughs> because it's just so good. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think, chef. I, I think, think that's it, yeah. man. I think we I think we ran the gamut on all this. Do you have any uh, non media recommendations for the folks? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I will say. Hmm. So I went recently to the Art Institute of Chicago because it is free for Illinois residents through the beginning of March. And oh shit, um, yeah. So I will say, if you're coming to the city at some point, uh, the ticket price on that is a little uh, hefty, but it is a huge collection. You will definitely get your money's worth, and you can have kill. It's easy to kill. 
hour and a half to maybe even three hours there. Just it's so varied with their collection. I just love exploring that place. So that'll be my recommendation. Is that the art museum that is featured in uh, Ferris Bueller or is that a different museum? Yes, that is the exact. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and Sunday in the park, uh, the, the Sunday, the long, whatever that painting is that Cameron has the existential crisis in yeah. front of. That is there. That is beautiful. You got to see it, folks. You love to see it. Uh, I think that's my recommendation for the week. What do you got? Noah? Um, I don't really have anything like very specific, but if you do live in the LA area, uh, I just have been spending more and more time in the Highland Park neighborhood of LA. I just think that's a fun. Oh, little I love spot. Highland Park. I just think it's got a great lunch, a little independent restaurants, uh, very, you know, definitely a very, you know, safe place to just sort of walk around and explore. Uh, I have friends that live over there, so I'm there, you know, every now and again. And if you have, you know, a free sat, a free day off or whatever, I think there's a lot of uh, hidden gems that you might want to check out. Uh, but oh, are those gems cut or uncut? Uh, it depends on the day, but I think right now they're uncut, and right now I'm feeling cut as fuck. Uh, but uh, I would check out some areas in Highland Park. Uh, I went to a restaurant there called Joy, J-O-I. Uh, with some friends that I really mm. enjoyed, and fuck me, what is the name of that burger place? Uh, burger place, Hi- it's like Burger Monster or something like that, or uh, Burger Place Highland Park, uh, Burger Lords, <laughs> Burger Lords. Those two places are cool. some food recommendations if you're in that area. I've also heard good things about Penny's Burgers, which is uh, more in the Eagle like Eagle Rock slash Highland Park area. But those are my two recs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Moa Narger. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Moa Narger. Please follow our social medias for this show. You can follow us on Instagram at it's on underscore the list. You can follow us on Twitter at it's on the list pod. You can like us on Facebook, uh, for what's it. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. Um, I believe so. And, yeah. I'll put links in the description and you can check out at YLG.world for the YLG stuff that fed and I are doing. Uh, that's all I'm going to plug Mason. What you got? Uh, yeah. If you want to get in contact with us, send us an email. Everybody wants the number two. Everybody wants to get on the list at gmail.com. That's a good way to get in contact with us. Uh, that will also be in the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram at hotdogdebicki or at goodskytonight. Uh, the most recent posts are as a bunch of just uh, screen caps from this movie yeah, yeah. Uh, that I just kind of fell in love with on rewatch. That's T-O-N-I-T-E. I'm also on Letterboxd, uh, just my name, Mason McGuire. And uh, you can listen to my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about The Shield. And uh, if you're on the streets of Chicago uh, and you mention either me, you see me and mention me or either one of my shows, I will give you a little kiss on the mouth. Chef Mason getting spicy on the streets of Chicago. Wow. Uh, So, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Thank you very much. Have a great day. uh, And give Mason a kiss. Bye-bye.